Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Hi, this is Steve Silver with Silver Screen Videos, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. You are listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Man, it's been a long time since I've uh, had some new touristic you. Uh, good news, I finished the third book in the series, so right now uh, we're on the second book, actually. Uh, it's I know it's uh, part uh, six that we're on, but uh, you know each book has a couple parts. Uh, the second book is uh, parts six through uh, nine. The next one is ten, eleven, twelve. There's only three parts in that book. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So <laughs> this series keeps going. Uh, in in fact, <laughs> I'm not even done with it by the third book. Uh, there's going to be, I think, maybe a fourth, fifth, maybe even a sixth one. I'll just kind of see where it goes. I did wrap things up in the third book, so, you know, if people stop reading by the <laughs> book three, uh, then they'll. I think they'll be satisfied. Uh, but, you know, if they want to keep reading, they, they love the series. Uh, there's definitely more coming to it. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, what what's happened so far? So we're kind of in a thing where where Cal and her crew are being chased uh by uh or can do and it's kind of mysterious uh you know who who who's employing these or can do to chase them and then it's kind of you know flashing back to the past where you see uh Granork had uh some fallout with his brother you know uh during his ascension to be the baron and, uh, yeah, so let's uh, just go ahead and uh, get started with the reading. The Citronite detached from the dervish and headed towards the third planet at the solar system's outer reaches. There was a lot of empty space in between, so Grenork had time to meditate for the encounter ahead. He knew Proveris was as much an agent of his brother as the winds blew, which was true of most of his brother's associates. 
The Orcandus who, who surrounded Tretkik were only as loyal as the depth of his coffers. Grand Orc hoped he could help Perverus see that the winds were blowing in another direction. He traversed the distance. The Rakandu battlecruiser lumbered over him. It was orbiting around a red gas giant with yellow streaks in the clouds. The ship itself had a Y-shaped hull with two bridges and a massive body. The two bridges were so that the vessel could keep fighting if one were destroyed. Orcandus were known for fighting to the very last person. The hull was painted red, a sign that the crew was experienced and forged in the fires of battle. He hailed the ship and requested an audience with Perveus. When the comm officer saw who he was, there was a momentary hesitation. That was about the most shock that an experienced Orcandu would display on their face. Perveris appeared on the screen, bickering with the comm officer. I ordered you that I should not be disturbed. I don't have time for a lonely science, uh, Grand Orc, my liege. I had no idea you were such ruffians. Even though Grand Orc was not technically barren, he still had the respect of one. It was something Grand Orc had planned to use to his advantage. I demand to see you in person. I, I guess, my lord, we can make that happen, Perverius yelled at someone off screen. As he cut out, Granork guided the Citronite into one of the docking bays. He stepped off the ship, and the waiting guard bent their horn away as a sign of respect. Perverius burst into the cargo bay moments later with a security entourage. The pompous jerk dared to wear his cloak to the dregs of the vessel. Most warriors would cringe at the use of one on a battleship. Even the dress uniforms of the Okandu warrior cast had a cape that would not go past their shoulders. The elite thought the warriors did it as a sign of knowing their place. Most warriors knew that it was for practicality in battle. Grenork, Purveya said, your brother will be delighted to hear of your return. I trust the Turisticus have finally commuted your sentence. I have no time for your pretense. I have something to say, Grenork snarled. We will retreat to my cabin immediately. I wanted to... It's something I will say in front of your crew. Granork raised his voice. Take me to your bridge. But now! Perverus nodded and whirled his cloak around. Granork was forced to walk behind him because of the length of it. The captain made no attempt to beckon Granork forward. It was either an overt sign of disrespect or a forgotten courtesy. Either way, the warriors of the vessels were used to being trotted on by the noble class. Granork was not here to win the hearts of Perverus, but rather the crew. However, there is no telling what had changed in the barony since he was away. His brother managed to maintain his title as proxy to the baron. Somehow, he had delayed the House of Lords from declaring Granork's family line as dead. However, Granork knew Tretkik too well. He would have thought of Granork's homecoming as a possible threat to his power. Not that Granork had any desire to go home. There was nothing left for him on Arcanus, and even though he loved his people, his time in prison taught him that he had no stomach for politics. He preferred people who attempted to stab him in the front than the back. He felt more kinship with the warriors in his crew when he was stationed as a gunner in the last great Orkandu war than the nobles. His father was the last great warrior king and would probably be the last one needed in Granork's lifetime. The region of space occupied by the barony was stabilized after the Turisticu Empire and the Shusharian Collective carved clear borders out of their territory, leaving Granork to follow in his father's footsteps with no battles to fight. 
Grand Orc was not a peacetime leader, and it took prison to figure that out. Cal finally gave him a more significant purpose than stewing in his cell over his brother. She taught him that even though there were no battles to fight for the Orkandu people, there were still battles for other people of the universe. Grand Orc's place was best served on the crew of the Dervish. However, he also had a high sense of honor and duty. If the Orkandus were being mobilized for war and the fleets were flying under the Turisticu banner, Granark owed it to his people to come back and lead them into battle. However, it would not be as a puppet to whatever master dangled a long cloak in front of his brother. Once they were on the bridge, the crew stood and tilted their horns to the side as a sign of respect to Granark. The irritation on Prevere's face was apparent, but he said nothing. Granork didn't wait for permission or an introduction. He turned to the comm officer who patched him through earlier. Make this a shipwide announcement, Granork said. Yes, sir. The comm officer ignored his captain's attempt to belay the order, which was a good sign the crew did not respect Pervez. My Orkandu brethren, it has been far too long since I have seen the dunes of Orcanus and feasted in the warrior's dining hall. As you know, I'm a fugitive and an enemy of the Turisticu Empire. While I maintain my innocence, it would be reckless for me to claim my rightful throne and bring down the wrath of the Turisticu Empire. My father, a wise baron who has earned your respect, said that a good commander knows when to conserve his troops and when to retreat and when to press on. With that, I will not throw Orcanus into a war it cannot win. I will also not let my brother sully the honor of our great armies as puppets of the Turisticu. It is time for a new leader. I hereby abdicate my... Uh, sir? One of the bridge officers spoke up. Granark growled and was about to punish him for his interruption. It, it's not the Turisticus who mobilized their fleets. Who is it then? Before he could speak, the red alert sirens blared and the bridge lit up. Cal watched Granork leave on a view screen in her own personal field of vision. Even though she knew full well he could take care of himself, she wanted him to be ready to act at a moment's notice should the need arise. It was also better than waiting. At first, it was an attempt to banish the dark thoughts that would creep around in her mind about the death of her village. Now, it was more an automated response, as she didn't think about her own town much anymore. It wasn't that she didn't care for them or love them any less. It was because time dulled the pain of any wound. Granork docked with the ship successfully, and when Maker sent her a personal message that appeared in her view, she could have her implants relay any private messages as speak, but that unnerved her. She preferred to read it, the text. I have some news about your father, Maker said. Who is it? Cal was glad the personal message didn't emote her excitement and dread about learning his identity. You hit the problem precisely on the head. Your father's patch had two sets of DNA on it. Two? Normally, it's easier to isolate the owner of the garment because the DNA would appear in much larger quantities than, say, a friend, even an intimate partner. However, the patch was on a jacket or something they could share, then it's much harder to guess. Either way, both sets were about in equal quantities. Have you compared to my DNA to each? Yes, and both have a lot of matches in common with you, but not enough to make a distinction of which ones are from your mother's lineage and which ones are from your father. Keep in mind that humans are over 99% genetically identical. 
We don't know what genes related to Necromodians and humans share. It's enough to be reproductively compatible, at least in your case. Basically, without your mother's DNA, both have a fairly equal chance of being your father. Well, don't keep me in suspense. Let's see the pictures. Before Maker could respond, three ships dropped out of warp, as Hayden liked to call it, near the third planet. They were triangular-shaped, and each side looked like a clone of the rest. The edges were gray, while the top and bottom were a shiny metallic black that was almost liquid. From the size of the vessels, they looked as they could hold a crew of at least 300. Cal had seen the ships before, but only in the historical archives. They were from the Shusharian Collective, and they were an off-putting alien design. Unlike the human influence models, they didn't have a clear front and back. Even the dervish would swivel the sensor and the weapon turrets in a manner that were a clear forward and backward. The advantage was that she could stop and change directions in mid-battle with a shift of a turret and a hard burn. The Shosharian ships didn't have a forward direction and could turn at 90 degree angles. Even though the Turisticus had very vastly superior firepower, most of the pilots in the war were confused by the tactics and outmaneuvered by the collective. However, Unlike the humans who standardized their space fleets, the Shusharians were a mismatch of ships for many different races. The hodgepodge mix of Shusharians and others weren't enough to overwhelm the IF. Ultimately, humans had won the war. The fact that the ships didn't appear on long-range scans didn't surprise her. The Shusharians were hard to spot unless you happened to be facing them head-on. What surprised Cal was their arrival in the solar system to begin with. The ship's presence could precipitate another conflict. Even though the Shusharians were enigmatic, they weren't stupid. It was far too dangerous to be here. Before Cal could even send out her hails, another ship dropped out of warp. The newcomer came in a hot and blasted the lead Shusharian out of existence before the others had time to react. Stray plasma bolts peppered the Orkandu ship in the attack, and they raised shields. The two other Shusharians turned 90 degrees in opposite directions. It took a few moments for Cal to register what was happening. The ship that initiated the attack wasn't some space pirates who happened to get lucky. It was the other prototype vessel. It was the twin of the Dervish. All right. That was all we have for you today. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> come back uh, for some more exciting uh, Grand Orcs Burden. And uh, yeah, be on the lookout for uh, the the third book in the series. So Cal's Fate is the first one. Cal's Quandary is the second one. Uh, and I, I actually do have a narrator working on the audiobooks of, of these. So, you know, you'll, you'll get way better <laughs> quality of everything uh when the audiobooks come out so I'll, I'll let you know when that is and uh yeah thank you for listening mm -hmm.